on himself the form of a servant that is a man and became obedient unto death and he tasted death for every man. And every one of us, they never taught me this in medical school, has a body and a soul and a spirit. I didn't know that in medical school. All we learned was the body. I wasn't aware that when those people were dying on the codes, it was the soul leaving the body. And as I was showing you in the last hour, that um, the life force of the body is the soul, and God plants a soul in there, and when the soul departs the body, then the body dies. It uh, ceases. And, you know, you can't really do anything about it. When we try electrical conversion, we try uh, epinephrine, all those things, but nothing works once the soul is departed, like it says in the book of Genesis, the body is dead. But the other thing is the soul needs a life force. And like we showed before, God sticks a little spirit in there, a battery that has so many years. And the spirit returns to God. The body, you know, goes in a grave like Jesus did. And the soul, well, Jesus purposely had to taste death for every man, including lost men. And you remember when we got saved, we were lost. So he was dying for us as to take our place, to be a substitute. So he tasted the death of the lost so we wouldn't have to. But when the soul leaves the body, it goes to one of two places. Now, for those of us that are saved, this arrow would go this way. And our soul and our spirit goes back to the Lord. For people that are not saved, uh, it goes this way into the prison house of, of hell. Hell, um, H for holding, E-L-L, put a C, holding cell. It's a holding cell. It's a prison where God holds the souls for a while. Um, it's not comfortable. It's uh, kind of like... When a prisoner is apprehended and he's put in, um, in, in our county, Erie County Holding Center, and he's, and he's held there until the trial, and then the judgment is rendered, and then the final penalty is uh, doled out by the judge, God holds all these cells, and then it's appointed unto men for judgment. The sad thing we do see, and we know from the book of Revelation in the one of the last books of the Bible, is what happens to that souls. Those souls is one day when the great white throne is there, all the souls are brought before him, the dead, the small, and the great. They stand before God, and the books of their life was opened, and God records all the works that people do. And um, if he finds anything in violation of his law, then the penalty has to be paid by that individual. And so what happens is if their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, if they never believe what Jesus, the Lamb of God, did for them, and their name's not in that book, then they have to pay for those sins, and the wages of sin is death. It's the second death. That's the good news, so to speak. The soul is eliminated, annihilated. It's all gone. That's not so bad. That's a merciful act of God. It doesn't exist forever. But, um, but now, for the lost man, in the meantime, before God does this judgment, this day occurred 2,000 years ago. God promised he would let man and men have the planet for 6,000 years. They had it for 4,000 years before Christ. They've had it for 2,000 years after Christ. Thankfully, this day's going to come to an end. The Lord's going to come back, take over the earth. Thank goodness for that. All souls will await till the end of the thousand years when Jesus reigns and then will be this judgment. But in the meantime, 
Jesus had to go down with his soul into hell to do some work for us. Again, what we saw, the body proved the humanity of Christ. The spirit, the fact that he could just say, Father, I'm done, into thy hands I commend my spirit, proved the divinity of Christ, because that's like somebody saying, okay, I want to die. By the way, you can say it, but you can't do it, because we don't have power over the spirit. God does, but Jesus was God in the flesh, so when the work was done, he said, okay, Father, I'm done, it is finished, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and the death occurred. Now the soul had some work to do. And in order to see the work that the soul had to do, we've got to go to Psalm 16. Now, all this stuff I'm teaching you, you don't need to know. This is all extra credit. This would be like having to learn the law books of New York State. You don't need to learn it to be a citizen. All you've got to do is be a citizen and, and be okay, and you're not going to have any problems. This is extra credit teaching. All you need to know is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God sent the Savior. He sent the Deliverer. The cre- your Creator sent the Redeemer. He's the only way. Thank goodness it's open to everybody. He said, come all ye that labor. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care what age you are. I don't care what religion you came out of. I came out of Roman Catholicism. I was lost as a goose in a snowstorm, headed for hell like every Roman Catholic is because they don't believe the gospel. But you could be a Buddhist and headed for hell or an Islamic and headed for hell. Pick your religion. All those religions are of the devil. They're all headed in that direction. Uh, Again, a soul is either in a body It's in hell or it's in heaven. There's no third place. There's no purgatory, limbo, reincarnation. There's none of that garbage. Only this book tells the truth. Okay? Uh, I hope you learned this. Look, I, I remember I was a doctor. I went to school 11 years after high school. I read a lot of textbooks. I went to a lot of conferences. I read a lot of other books. I read two books a week. 100 books a year I used to read, and they weren't novels. I read history books, sociology books. I read all kinds of books, economics books. I never found truth till I got to this book. Not that there aren't smatterings of truth in other disciplines. Yes, there is some scientific truth. There's a lot of scientific lies. Evolution is a lie. Evolution is a stupid religion for idiots. Really, really, you believe you came from a paramecium. You believe a dinosaur turned into a chicken. You believe, Come on, that's a fable. I mean, every experiment ever run, chickens make chickens, dog make dogs, people make people, just like God said in the first chapter, everything's after its kind. But So there is false science. There is false, that's fake body work. There's false soul work. That's sociology. Marxism, communism, socialism, totalitarianism, uh, fascism, Those are all bad forms of government that God speaks against. There's only one form of government that's a government of truth as found in the book of Proverbs and the book of Exodus. So there is some truth in the world, but mostly it's surrounded by lies. This is the book that tells the truth. And I never knew about these things in my medical books or my other books till I got to this book. And this book lays these things out plain and clear for you. And in the 16th Psalm, a psalm of David, and one of the things we know in the Scriptures is that because God gave this book to the Jews a long time ago, and here you are reading it, 
And when we disappear in a few years and the few Jews are left in the trib, and then when Jesus comes back in 2030-something and rules for a thousand years, this book will be there too. We'll be studying this book at that time too. So this book moves through time so it covers history, it covers spiritual practical sense, and it covers prophecy. And God, through his Spirit, would put prophecies in the Bible which have been greatly fulfilled, all the ones on the first coming to the T, not one missed. And here's one where uh, David is praying, and he's praying, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And that's where your trust should be. It's better to trust in the Lord than to trust into men, any type of men, whether it's philosophers, or sociologists, politicians, whether it's anything you want to trust in God and God's word. Uh, verse 2, O my soul, thou hast said to the Lord, thou art my Lord. And my goodness, although I'm a good guy, says David, doesn't extend to thee. I mean, your goodness is incredible. I mean, compared, it's not that everybody on the planet's bad. It's just that we're not good enough to extend all the way to God. We needed a Savior to get us back to God. We might be a little better than someone else. A policeman will tell you one guy is better than another guy. Amen. Well, that's good. But that's like saying one guy's taller than another guy. Okay, so one guy's six and a half feet, one guy's four and a half. But are any of them tall enough to make it to heaven? No. Their height and goodness will never be good enough to extend to God. You need God, and that's why God's sending the Redeemer for you. Now, he says in the prophetic voice now in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. First, historically, he meant that, but he's also speaking now as Jesus. And when Jesus was walking on earth, he always wanted to do the will of his Father. From the time he was a little boy, he would search the Scriptures and read the Bible. And his mom and his stepfather Joseph would find him in the temple reading the books and the Scriptures. And he was putting the Lord's words before him and putting God before him. Uh, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And he's, he's putting all his trust in his Father. And then he says, verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory, my, my spirit rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to seek corruption. So this work that he's going to do is done in a three-day period because a body begins to corrupt by the fourth day. All of a sudden, the bacteria start eating at the inside. The rigor mortis goes through its full process and changes. Um, the corruption of the flesh and the cells begins to occur. Without the blood flowing in them and the fresh oxygen, they start to corrupt. And Jesus knows, okay, I'm going to go through this process, and you're not going to let this happen to my body. You're going to get me out of this tomb. But the curious thing isn't just that, that my flesh rests in hope. The thing is, in verse 10, you're not going to leave my soul in hell. Now, the first time I read this as a new Christian, it's like, whoa. I remember talking with a friend of mine. We were like putting our heads together, getting a bunch of lumps like the Three Stooges because we couldn't understand what this was about. Now, this is where you, you need help, and this is where the Spirit of the living God will now compare Scripture with Scripture. So to compare what you just read with a New Testament passage, you need to go to Acts chapter 2. 
and it took me a while to get this. One of the things that you will learn about uh, Christianity is it's, it's very easy to come to a knowledge of salvation. I mean, you finally figure out, okay, God is the creator. There's no evolution. There's no Big Bang. Um, God recognized that we've sinned and come short of his glory. So God so loved the world, he sent his redeemer, the, his only begotten son, so that people wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And those are the only two options for a soul, a soul that perishes and gets destroyed or a soul that gets the gift of everlasting life. And he did the work. And so in the Acts of the Apostles, right after the Gospel of John, we're looking at uh, Jesus uh, promising, verse 4, they were assembled together with Jesus after his resurrection. He stayed with them for 40 days. He talked to them. And he told them in verse 4, Do not depart from Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which you know, you've heard of me. For John the Baptist truly baptized with water, but a water baptism is no good. You could stick people under the water till so long the polywogs know their social security number. Not going to do a thing for them. Water baptism can't save anything. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you need a new spirit to come in you. Because if water baptism work, we get some of the strongest people. We just stick people in the tank back here. But that's not going to do anything for them. You need to be baptized. Your soul needs to be baptized with the spirit of the Holy Ghost. So, so they're, they're to wait. And then what happens is, verse 9, while he spoke these things, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And verse 10, they looked and they watched him go up. And two men, who were actually angels, stood there and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, in the resurrected body, and he had a spiritual resurrected body, but it was solid, solid enough that he ate honeycomb and fish with them a few weeks before in the upper room. The new body you and I are going to get isn't going to be corruptible fleshy. It's going to be a heavenly body wrapped around our soul and we'll be able to eat and enjoy food and all those things. And, and so he's being this same Jesus, which is taken up uh, into heaven, shall so come in the same body in like manner have you seen him go to heaven. And he promised to come back 2,000 years later. And that would be nine years from this year. I'm sure he'll be real close. But here's the thing. So they're waiting for this promise. And next chapter, two. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord. Accord. It either means an accordion, or it means all with one heart. And I think it means one heart. But I don't know, maybe Lawrence Welk's ancestors were there. And they're all... And they're all in one place and they're praying. And suddenly there came uh, from heaven like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the house where they were sitting at verse 4 and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And what happened is immediately they went out and Peter began to preach to them. And uh, Peter said, uh, verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. And there's a whole crowd there, and it's 50 days after Jesus disappeared. And so Jesus had just been with them for three and a half years. And there's a crowd there, and there are people like Uncle Phil got healed, 
and so and so was raised from the dead. The little girl that was raised from the dead is there. I mean, all these miracles, living miracles, are right there before him. And so there's no question, you know, this is the real deal. The signs and wonders which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This whole plan God worked out so that he could send his son to pay the penalty and be the substitute and make atonement for anyone that will come by faith. And God worked this plan out. And then he points to those Jewish leaders. You took him and by wicked hands you crucified and you had him slain. And they were the ones said to Pilate, crucify him. And Pilate said, I don't want anything to do with this. You crucify him. And then finally was crucified because there were what was religion that led to his crucifixion. It was the religious leaders. Do you know who hates this book? Religions. Right now, this morning, there's a whole bunch of churches in western New York. I brought this book in and started preaching the gospel. They'd ask me to leave. Because they preach traditions and rituals and baptism and sacraments and wafers and they wave things around that smell good and put uh, incense on you or yeah or incest as Archie Bunker used to say I mean you don't need that stuff uh, that's what religions do and that's why they fought with Jesus and they're the ones that the wicked hands they crucified and slayed him verse 24 but God raised him up God loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he Jesus should be holden of it death because he was sinless. And death can only hold sinners. And that's why we see everyone goes in a grave, stays in a grave, because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, here it is, verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, and now he's going to begin to quote Psalm 16. Um, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. And he's, he's reiterating and quoting Psalm 16. Now, what he's going to do, in, and then he, verse 29, he's going to interpret it for us. Because just repeating it for me is going to leave me just as confused as the first time I read it. So now he's going to interpret it. And in verse 29, he says, men and brethren and women and children. Okay, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David since he wrote this. Hey, David, he's both dead and buried. His sepulcher is right over there with this datos. I mean, he was preaching by the temple and not too far from the temple was the place of the burial of the kings. And the kings of Israel were buried there and he could point to it. And go, there, there's David's grave right over there. You know, like the monuments, we have the tomb of the unknown soldier, but this is the tomb of David. So, so he's saying, <clears throat> verse 30, therefore being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that according to the fruit of his loins... And it was David's great, 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 great grandson that Jesus is because Mary was of the seed of David. So he's related to David, just like God promised. He's going to be of the seed of Abraham and David. Of his loins, according to the flesh, 
he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his, Christ's soul, was not left in hell. Neither did his flesh see corruption. And so what we're seeing is, yes, Jesus did taste death for us. His spirit went to be with his Father in heaven. His body went into the tomb as it was buried by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, but his soul went down in that direction to hell. Now, why, why is he doing this? Well, the first reason he's doing this is to take away our sins. See, when he was on the cross, he paid the penalty for the sin in having his body broken, but almost like Santa Claus, God gave a bag of sin to him of the whole world and put it on his soul. Not in his soul, but he had to carry this bag down and throw it into the incinerator of hell. The picture is shown in the book of Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus is a, a deep book. It's a the book given to the Levites, Leviticus. And they were the priests in the Old Testament. And the priests in the Old Testament, God like gave them all these sacrifices and rituals to do. But then like he told them in the New Testament, those were pictures and shadows and types and allegories of the work my son is going to do. And so as you do this, you're getting ready for the day when my son comes. He's going to do it to the higher level, and you won't have to do this anymore. So, so the only religion God authored on the planet is Old Testament Judaism, and he gave it to the people to prepare the Jews so that when the Messiah comes, oh, that's the one we've been waiting for. We've been kind of practicing like kids practicing baseball uh, on a little cheap lot. But now here comes the major league team and they sit down and let them do the work. And we were just kind of imitating what they do. This is what they were allowed to do to prepare them for the Messiah. And in the 16th chapter, verse 5, Aaron, the high priest, was to take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats. And verse 7, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And then Aaron will cast lots upon the two goats. The one lot, one goat, ends up being the goat for the Lord. The other lot is the scapegoat. Now, both of these goats are going to represent two parts of Christ. The one uh, that's going to be for the Lord is verse 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. And that represents the body of Christ that was prepared. And this is the goat that is killed. And so his death represents goat number one. Now goat number two is the scapegoat. And that's in verse 10. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. His soul didn't die. And the Lord was watching the work that he was doing to make an atonement to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Hell is a wilderness. Uh, go to 
Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. And the scapegoat was to go out and to go into the wilderness never to be seen again and to take all that filth they would lay their hands on the goat and so-called like confess their sins and it would go and never be seen again that way. And this work of Christ is going down into the wilderness of hell to do a job that's not seen again except through the eyes of Scripture. Because we walk by faith, which comes by hearing, not by sight. And so he's doing this work. Now remember when Jesus was in Matthew trying to present himself as the king in verse 1, Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Well, guess who's down here in hell? The devil. He's going down into the wilderness, the scapegoat, to have an encounter with the devil. Now he's going to win this battle. The devil's holding the keys to death and hell, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, and Jesus is going to take the keys from him. Now, Jesus already prepared for the fight in Matthew 4. He'd already found he could knock him out once. They're going to have a rematch. Every rematch, Jesus wins, the devil loses. It's good to be on God's side. God's always going to win those battles. You don't have to worry. I know things look like they're getting worse as the little G-O-D of this world, the devil, is increasing his totalitarian reach and his bureaucratic insanity and, and getting ready. By the way, real soon, folks, I, I, you're, he's going to take your cell phones from you. He's going to take your cars from you. He's going to take everything from you. You have no idea what you're headed for in the next seven, eight. Now, we're not headed for it if you're saved. We're out of here. We get raptured. But for the people left behind, they are headed for a world of trouble. And that's just the beginning of their trouble. When, when man starts giving them man's wrath, then God's wrath is going to fall in the last three years. My recommendation, get saved and get out of here. Because you're going to go through hell before you get to hell. But, but anyways, what's happening here is the sin is being taken into the wilderness and it's being removed. Uh, there's a number of passages that deal with the reality as God was speaking to Isaiah in the 44th chapter and he says, I have blotted out has a thick cloud thy transgressions, that's uh, 44.22, and as a cloud thy sins, they've been blotted out. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. And down in the deep, dark recesses of the wilderness of hell, the first thing Jesus did was to go back and to dump that load of sin into hell. By the way, the amazing thing is, as we saw earlier, it was all the sin of the world. He paid for the sins of the lost people. The thing that's going to absolutely mortify them when they stand naked before God, that's how you stand at the white throne judgment. No clothes allowed. After you die, your soul is either clothed with the righteousness and the robe of Christ or it stands naked before God. You ever have those dreams like where you're naked before a crowd? Did you ever have one of those dreams? Okay, well, I had a few. I think the reason is... God was trying to warn me, son, you're going to stand naked before the whole universe if you don't get saved. And you are going to at the white throne judgment if you're not saved. And, uh, and what God wants to do, he, he paid for all those sins, and these people are going to stand there going, blink, 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 and find out, you mean I'm not going to hell because of the stuff I did? He's going to say, no, you're going to hell because of what you didn't do. You wouldn't believe on my son. It's not the sins of commission that's send you to hell. My son paid for all your sins. It, it's the sin of omission. 
John, uh, what is it? Is it 16.9? 16.9. Of sin because they believe not on me. So they're blotted out as a thick cloud. <clears throat> he takes it as a scapegoat into the wilderness. He says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so are their sins removed. <clears throat> which, which is interesting. He didn't say the north from the south. <clears throat> and you know, the curious thing is if you have a globe, and let's say you start at the North Pole, and, and you begin going south, you're going south. And then when you get to the South Pole, even if you go in the same direction, now you're going north. <clears throat> and then you get to the North Pole, now you're going south again. But if you start at the equator and you start going east, you get here, you're still going east. You're still going east. You're still going east. You're going east. And when you're going west, you're going west. Eternally. And that's what he's saying. This is an eternal removal of sin, not a temporal one like the Old Testament. This is an eternal one. I'm removing all these sins. And the scapegoat did this. The second thing he went to do, go to Hebrews chapter 2. God put a lot of design and forethought into this great work. And he did it perfectly. God does things just fine when he does them. We're the ones that mess up. I mean, God started us in a garden. There was no currency, no credit cards. Everything was free. There, there, there was perfect weather. The earth was not at a 23-degree tilt like it is now, and so we've got the polar zone and the equatorial zone that's too hot and the polar, which is too cold. And we, Who's that little one that sat in the right chair? Uh, Goldilocks, and, and you got the Goldilocks room of the temperate. But back when, like this, and all scientists know, if you straighten the earth up, the whole thing becomes temperate, and there's no more ice caps and no more deserts. And, and that's how it was in the garden. Everything was just fine. And we're the ones that messed up. God does a good work. We, we kind of mess up, but thankfully God is the God of second chances, and he sends his son to fix things. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 9, of course, it's about Jesus. We see Jesus. And we see in uh, verse uh, 14, for as much then as the children, meaning the children of God, uh, are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus also, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God had given dominion to Adam and Eve to the whole earth. And when they fell at the temptation of the devil, it's like the devil picked their pocket and got the keys to the earth. He's been running it ever since. And just about every nation in the history of mankind, read Will and Ariel Durant's The History of Civilization, and it's just just abuse, man heaping abuse upon men, the big and the powerful taking advantage of the little and the weak. And this has gone on now. We were kind of blessed to have a strange nation started with a Bible, but this is the exception to the rule. I don't think you appreciate it. Uh, you will when you lose it. I mean, I know they're so foolish. They're voting socialism and communism. You may be able to vote that stuff and you're going to have to fight your way out of it and you're not going to be able to. It's the end anyways. But... Uh, you know, we, you know, we make we make a mess of things. That that's that's what we do. And the Lord wants to fix things and come back and rule properly. But the devil had the keys, and he's been running these governments. 
spiritual wickedness in high places. Some of the most wicked people are in high places. I think of that pot-bellied liquor head in the Vatican, that lying piece of garbage called the Pope. Well, it's true. That guy hates this book. That guy's had an opportunity to preach the gospel how many times? They give him Christmas programs, a million people walking. Did you ever heard him say, you must be born again? Don't trust in religion, trust in Jesus. No, he's got you saying prayers to Mary. I mean, I mean, religions lie to people. Governments lie to people. Bureaucrats lie to people. People lie to people. But there's a lot of wickedness in the high places. And the devil's been running this thing, and he has the power over death. Look at verse 15. And deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. People are afraid of death. If they're not saved. If they're saved, big deal. I mean, okay, my wife had that, what should have been a fatal heart attack a few weeks ago. And when she finally awake enough to talk to the doctors, and uh, the doctors said, well, you know, we have certain machines that can help you. Your heart function is real low, uh, critical, uh, near death. And so we have a big machine, a ventricular assist machine we can put you on, and your lungs aren't doing well. We can put you on a ventilator. And she said, no, thanks. I'm ready, ready to go home and be with my Lord. No fear at all. Now, look, I was a doctor. I watched the fear in their eyes. They're all afraid of death. That's the bond. Why do you think doctors are overpaid? You know, we were overpaid. Do you really think I was worth 400000 a year, which is what I made the last year I worked? Give me a break. For what I did, I should have been making about maybe 55000 for what I did. What the heck were they paying? I didn't set the rates. Scared people set the rates. We'll pay anything for another day. We'll pay it. Keep me alive. That's, I'm sorry, the, the, all their lifetime... They're subject to the bondage of the fear of death. Once you get saved. I, I remember when I was at the, uh, I went just recently for a, a, a test to a neurosurgeon. And they were looking at the discs in my neck and I got three of them that are bad. They want to operate. I, I don't know. I don't care. But you know what really troubled them is when they took the MRI and they took it of the neck. So it went about this big. They saw lesions in my brain. And so like they were so nervous we're not worried about the neck. Look at these lesions. It could be cancer. We need to work that up. And I looked at him. I said, are you serious? Tell me I have stage four cancer and I'm going to die in a week. This is the greatest news I ever got. We don't need to work this up. I'm getting out of here. You think I want to stay behind with Biden as president and the garbage going on? Please. This is great news. Now, but look, if you... No. And that's the truth. But... You rock it back 31 years and give me the same news, and I'd have been scared out of my mind. I'd have gone home, oh, you can't believe what the doctor said, as opposed to, honey, you can't believe what the doctor said. I'm going to be out of here. This is great. No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm scared someone will come in with a gun. Come in with a gun. Come here. Come. Come right here. Right here. Let me help you. But before you do it, I want you to get saved. Then make sure it's a kill shot. I don't want to live through it. <laughs> no more fear of death. He took the keys. He's got them. Go to uh, 
this is a tough, tricky teaching here. I don't know if you want to do it. You've got to get Psalm 9 in one hand and Psalm 24 in the other. Yeah, I used to be a scared of death. Not anymore. I, I know that. Come on, man. I got a broken body. I'm going to get a new body. Come on. I still got to pay taxes. I won't have to pay taxes. I still got to chug along and fill my car with, I mean, all these things, I got to eat food that isn't all that good anymore, and the way it comes out of me, I don't even want to think about it. That, that's all behind when I get the new body. Give me a break. I want to stay here. What am I, nuts? But you don't have that confidence till you have this book, and you have assurance of your salvation. Psalm 24 is a great psalm. And um, it's part of the triptych of Psalms. Psalm 22 is Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the psalm of the cross work of Jesus Christ. And he does that work on the cross as a prophet. And they were always killing the prophets, and Jesus came as a prophet, and they killed him. Psalm 23 is the one we all know, the Lord is my shepherd. And this is the present work of Jesus Christ as the high priest looking over his sheep. The question that he would have for you or I would have for you, is he your shepherd? If he's not, then you're going to be like I was when I was a Catholic for all those years and I read that psalm and it meant absolutely nothing. Just a bunch of empty, dead words. Like when I sang Amazing Grace or when the saints go marching in, it meant absolutely nothing. But once I got saved, this psalm is beautiful. He's my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't have to worry. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I'm not troubled anymore. I don't have nightmares. I don't have phobias. I don't have fears. No anxiety. No depression. Nothing. Things don't bother me. And you have this whole COVID thing. You had people so scared. They're running around with a mask. What the hell? And what are you afraid of? You afraid of dying? First off, the COVID can't kill you anyways. But even if it could, let's pretend it was a fatal virus, a strongly fatal virus. That's good news. We shouldn't gather together. We should. What better place than launch to heaven? The right here. Let's all get it and take off. No more fear. Still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow. It's just a shadow of death. One day my son Andrew and I were playing on the side lot. He was about three years old. And uh, next to our house there's a, about a half acre lot there. And the planes come in. And when they come in at the right time, the shadow will go right over you. So we were sitting, and the shadow of the plane went right over us. I mean, right over the two of us. Didn't hurt us one whit. Now, if the plane actually went into us, that could have hurt. And what he's saying is, if the Lord's your shepherd, death is like a shadow. What, are you scared of your shadow? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me. Here's the table you're right now reading. It's the table of God's word. It's the smorgasbord of the word of God that feeds your soul and your spirit. Uh, in the presence of mine enemies. Yeah, they, they don't like this book. I didn't get it in college. Didn't get it in uh, Catholic college. 
didn't get it in prep school, didn't get it in medical school, uh, but uh, once I got it, I could take it right to work with me, and I did, right in the midst of my enemies. I was working at a Catholic hospital. They hated this book. And everybody knew the operating room Dr. Caesar was in, the one with the open Bible. And I could read it, and it was a blessing. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. I'm so filled with God's word, I got it. It just runs over, and I tell others. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, that's the present work of our Savior. He's a priest. Prophet, chapter 22, he dies. Priest, right now, he's becoming people's shepherd and preserving them. Chapter 24, he comes back as king. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the world that he's going to form and they that dwell therein. He's going to form a new world for us with believers. My father was a law enforcement. My two uncles were law enforcement. My father, my mom made him leave the force because she was worried about his safety. But my uncle stayed all the way to the end. I think one was a captain, one was a detective. And, um, but they're not going to be needed in the new world. Doctors aren't going to be needed in the new world. The people in the new world are going to be people with the new birth that love the Lord and love his commandments. And love is the keeping of the commandments. They don't commit adultery. They don't kill. They don't covet. They don't lie. They don't bear false witness. I mean, you can leave your, like we do here. My wife will leave the purse during a meeting and uh, with the money showing and it's still here. God's people don't steal. We don't do that. People who aren't God's people and are religious, they may, but not God's people. This is the new world he's setting up. Um, the verses I want to get here in this particular psalm, let me see, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lift up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Then watch the repeat, verse 9. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He that is the king of glory. And he's talking about two things that he did. And I, it wasn't until I needed a cross-reference. I kind of understood reading it, but I needed a cross-reference or I wouldn't believe it. You've got to go to Psalm 9 and look at verses 13 and 14. And then I'll explain to you what he's doing. Psalm 9. Verse 13 is the one that connects to verses 7 and 8 in Psalm 24, and I'll show you in a minute. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. Remember that one Psalm? Who is this King of glory? He's the Lord strong and mighty the Lord in battle. And here he comes down and the gates of death, the gates of hell down here, he's going to crash through those gates. He's going to grab Satan by the throat. He's going to take the keys away from him and he's going to leave. And then what he's going to do a short time later, he's going to go up before his father. That's the next verse, verse 14, that I may show all thy praise 
in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. Who is this king of glory? Verse 9 and 10. Well, this is the Lord of hosts coming in as the king of glory. So he had to do a work and go down and get the keys. And then later he would say to Mary, don't touch me yet. I got to go to my father. And his soul would go back and there would be the second passage of him. And, and he's laying down and setting up the eternal salvation before his father. But first you've got to go down there and get the keys from the devil. Go to Revelation 1, verse 18. And take away from the one that had the power of death, that is the devil. Adam stumbled and lost the keys. The second Adam is coming to get the keys back. Revelation 1, and you remember here, uh, John, the apostle, is on the Isle of Patmos. He's in prison for preaching God's word, just like Paul went to prison for preaching God's word, just like in the early days of America, people went to prison for preaching God's word, and that's why they had to draft a First Amendment so that people have the freedom of expression and worship and and, uh, religion. And then the second part of it's the freedom of the press, which everyone seems to remember and forget the freedom of worship and assembly. But um, John went to, to, to prison for preaching the word of God. In Muslim nations, you'll go to prison for preaching the word of God. In China, in communist nations, you'll go to prison for preaching the word of God. And John, in this present evil world, is in prison for preaching the word of God. And he hears a voice and he turns around And verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And Jesus says later, the candlesticks are the churches. And it's a picture of Jesus in the midst of all the churches, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow. Uh, The resurrected Jesus it doesn't look like the, you know, the Irish Catholic uh, blue-eyed, uh, long-haired thing. Okay, so if you want to know what Jesus looks like, you've got to read your Bible and, and, and stop learning from lost people what he looks like. But when he's with him, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And the reality is that God is so holy that if he would walk right now down this aisle, every one of you would be out of your and on your face and scared to death I mean we're so full of sin we have no business being in the presence of a holy God now the only sin left in us is in our body and he's going to get rid of that our soul is cleansed our spirit is kind of cleansed but our body still is but here's John just like one of us a born again Christian and he's afraid and here's what Jesus does for his children he laid his right hand upon me and said fear not I'm the first I was there at Genesis 1.1. I'm the last. I'm at the last book of the Bible. I'm eternal. I am he that liveth. And remember the old English. E-T-H is ongoing. You can't get this in the modern Bibles. I'm alive, but who knows, I'll be dead in 10 years. No, I liveth. That's forever. I, I was dead for a short period there, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. Once I came up out of that, that's dead. I ain't dying anymore. And I'm the first fruits of the resurrection. When I raise you from the dead, you're going to be alive forevermore. And not only that, uh, he had to amen himself. I am alive forevermore. And John didn't say anything. So, so he said, amen. 
Sometimes a preacher will do that when he says something good. And, um, and then he said, and by the way, I have the keys of hell and death. Because I went down and I took them there. So getting back to what happened is, what did the, the soul do? Well, he, he went down there first to drop off our sins, secondarily to take the keys from the devil. Um, thirdly, we'll wait for another point. I don't want to give the other point. We're getting short on time. He went to keep an appointment. Go to uh, Luke 23. And, and God makes appointments and God keeps appointments. And it is appointed unto men once to die. Hebrews 9.27 And after this, the judgment. And everyone that dies will go to judgment, including Christians. But our judgment is not a judgment to determine our eternal fate, because that's already been determined at the cross. Sadly, for those other people at the white throne, they're going to find their soul being extinguished. We go to a judgment where God, from the time of our salvation, not before it. So I got saved in 1993. God has washed out everything I did before 1993. It's basically good for nothing because it was all done in my first birth. And, and any work you do for God must be in your new birth. But once I got born again, God has been watching me and judging me to reward. It's a judgment of rewards. And some people will earn more rewards than others, but no one will have their soul taken from them. So it's a reward banquet type of a judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, uh, the judgment. And so God makes appointments, and he keeps them. He's very faithful in what he says. So in the 23rd chapter, if you remember, when uh, verse 33, when they came to the place called Calvary, which is missing in all the modern Bibles, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And again, I want to remind you that that picture up there, and you probably can't see it, but there are three crosses. There's one in the middle, and there's one on each side, is God's viewpoint of all of humanity. And here's God's viewpoint of all of humanity. Everyone's going to die. You're all going to end up dead one day. So I'll use the cross as my picture, God says. And there's only two ways people die. There's people that die on the one side of the cross that mock Jesus out. And the one mocked him out, it says, uh, let's see. Verse 39, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. If thou be the Christ, if you're really God, you know, save us. If you're really God, why didn't you do something about this? Why didn't you stop the planes from hitting the buildings? Why didn't you? I'm always picking on God for not doing what they want him to do. God says, I did the greatest thing for you 2,000 years ago. If you were in one of those buildings in Manhattan and you were saved, you got to come home sooner. You didn't have to put up with the rest of the Bush administration and Obama. You just got to come home, okay? I mean, is that so bad? You're now in heaven. I mean, you are going to die. If you weren't, you're the one mocking me. And that one, his soul goes in that direction. But the other one, verse 40, said, What, dost thou not fear God? 
seeing we are in the same condemnation. We're up here as a criminal, and rightfully so. And what God's saying, you may not be a criminal, but I'll tell you one thing, you're a sinner. Every last one of you. You've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even if it's as simple as coveting, and that's the only thing you ever did. I want a better position at work. I wish I were higher up in the department. You're not satisfied with where I put you, God says? That's not good enough for you? In America, with all the luxuries you have, maybe I should have had you born in Africa in 600 B.C. Anyways, the point is they're all sinners. But there's only two types of sinners. The ones that reject what Christ did and the ones that do like this guy. 42, Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And recognizing that Jesus is the Lord. And Jesus is going to set up the eternal kingdom. And no matter what country or nation I came out of, I can be adopted citizenship eternally into his kingdom. And I want to be remembered. And and here's what Jesus says to him. Verily, that's like truly, I say unto thee. Now watch carefully how it's written in the King James Bible, comma. There's no quotation marks, but there's a capital T for today. That's like an open quote. So here's what Jesus said to the man in terms of a sentence. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now that also has changed in the modern Bibles, unfortunately, because it, it reads like this in the modern Bible. Verily I say unto thee today, comma, thou shalt be with me in paradise. But I just said it today, but who knows when you'll be there. No. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So he had an appointment to keep. So he died finally and gave up the ghost at 3 p.m. And there were three hours left in the day. And then that day is over. And he promised that guy, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And hell isn't paradise. Paradise is, in the old days, it was another compartment in the earth. Again, I need another day to draw this. If you want me to draw what hell looks like and what Abraham's bosom looks like, you don't need to know all this. Just think there are two compartments down there in the earth. There's the compartment of hell, the holding cell, and there was the place called Abraham's bosom where the souls that trusted in God went. And he was promising this man, you're going to be with me in paradise today. So he went down there and he took care of his work swiftly of uh, rattling the devil by the neck and throttling him and then taking the keys from him and then shutting the gates back on all those left in hell and then going over there. And so he kept that appointment with that individual in paradise. And uh, I was trying to think how long it took. And if he said today, I'm just going to guesstimate, go to John chapter 1. This is spiritual guesstimating, and we're just about done. We've heard enough, and there's a few more points, but we've heard enough to learn. I'm sorry I'm such a long-winded teacher. I wish I could go home and listen to someone good. There's, go listen to James Knox today or Adrian Rogers. Go home and... Who else? No, he's not very... He doesn't believe the book. He doesn't believe the Bible. He does believe in Jesus, but doesn't believe the book. Listen to a Bible believer. Listen to James Knox. Listen to Adrian Rogers uses a King James Bible. You listen to someone like that. I'll do better because it's so hard listening to those bad Bibles. Um, 
John, although David's a nice guy, I met him. I tried to talk to him when you can't get through the seminaries, ruined him. He went to Dallas. Once they go to the seminaries, they're gone on the book. Thank God he's still, he's still saved. Okay, John chapter 1. This was um, the two disciples one day, verse uh, 36, looking upon Jesus as he walked. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they left John the Baptist and followed Jesus, which is good. Verse 38, Then Jesus turned and saw them and said, What seek ye? And they said, uh, Rabbi, which to say is uh, master, where dwellest thou? And he said, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now the reckoning time like a Jew, the 10th hour from six o'clock in the morning takes you to four. And so there's only two hours left in the day. So the Holy Ghost is saying, I'm counting that period as a day, two hours. Which, incidentally, let me give you a practical interpretation. You know, God wants your tithe. And you always think, money. No, he'd like a tithe of your time. He's worthy of one-tenth of your time. There's 20-something hours in a day. Two hours is good to spend with the Lord in Bible reading, prayer, and service. And so he counted that as a day, that little tithe of time, two hours. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So he probably went down at 3 o'clock, finished his work up by 4, and brought that guy over and spent the rest of the day with him from 4 to 6. And there's more to the story, but uh, we've learned enough today. Three days later, he came out of the tomb. The spirit and the soul and the body were all put back together, and uh, he liveth forevermore and maketh intercession for them to come to him by faith. So, Lord, we do thank you for the greatest day in the history of mankind. And uh, thank you that you've uh, put it down in the sure words of the Scripture, which are pure and perfect and inspired and preserved and translated. And we can read them and you can uh, feed us. Our cup can run over. And we're so thankful. And Lord, we do look forward. We are so close to the second coming. We're a decade away from it. And Lord, we're just excited when you come back and you rule in righteousness and judgment and justice and truth are the habitation of thy throne. And we thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen.